Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, and the Song of Solomon. My dear friends, if you are a member of this church, the Monte Vista Church of Christ, then I want to suggest that you need to get very familiar with all of these names. You need to get very familiar with the names of every one of these books in the Bible because, as Brother Dale said in his presentation last Sunday, we're going to be reading them this year. In 2021, we're going to be reading these five books that make up what is typically called the wisdom literature portion of the Bible. In fact, that is exactly why we are calling our particular particular Bible reading schedule this year. Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. We're calling our Bible reading schedule words of wisdom because that is exactly what this portion of the Bible is all about. That is exactly what these books in the Old Testament are all about. These five books in the Old Testament are all about wisdom. They're all about offering us practical, godly wisdom. They're all about offering us wisdom that can help us in our daily lives and make us more like Jesus. We're going to be reading the wisdom literature portion of the Bible this year. And hopefully by now, hopefully by now you've received a copy of your Bible reading schedule this year. Hopefully you've either downloaded it from our website or you picked up a paper copy in the lobby. I have personally done this particular Bible reading schedule a couple of times over the past seven or eight years. And I got to tell you that every time I do this particular Bible reading schedule, I find myself being spiritually renewed. I find myself being spiritually challenged. I find myself being more equipped to rise above whatever obstacles the devil is trying to put in front of me. This is a very rich reading from the word of God. And if you don't mind this morning in this study from God's word, I just want to spend a few minutes trying to get you excited about it. I want to spend a few minutes trying to get you passionate about this Bible reading. I want to show you exactly what these five books in the Old Testament have to offer you and have to offer your family and why you need to commit yourself to reading them over the next 12 months. This morning, I want to give you a preview of the books we're going to be reading in our 2021 Bible reading schedule. And let's just begin this morning with the first book. Let's begin with the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, if you've already received a copy of your Bible reading schedule, then you know that the first book on our list this year is the book of Proverbs. We're actually going to begin this Bible reading by reading the first 10 chapters of Proverbs. And so go in your Bible, please, to Proverbs chapter 1. When you go in your Bible, the Proverbs chapter 1. As you turn there, let me just say this. If you received a copy of the schedule, then you know by now that with the exception being the two shorter books of this unit of the Bible, with the exception being the book of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, we're not going to be reading the other three books straight through. And in an effort to bring some variety to our reading, 
We're actually going to break up the book of Proverbs and the Psalms and the book of Job up into different units. We're going to read a few uh, chapters here and a few chapters there. We're going to do that to bring some variety to the reading. Now, in Proverbs, when it comes to the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter one and verse number one, the book begins with these words. It says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction and in wise behavior, righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, to the young folks, knowledge and discretion. I want you to ponder on those verses for just a moment or two. I want to submit to you that in these verses, in these verses, we see exactly why we need to be excited about reading the book of Proverbs this year. Let me tell you something. I don't care how old or seasoned in life you might be. I don't care how much you think you know about the Bible. I don't care how long you've been studying the Bible. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. According to what Solomon says in those verses, we need to be excited about reading the book of Proverbs this year because it offers us a very valuable treasure. More precisely, it offers us the very valuable treasure of wisdom. It actually offers us the very valuable treasure of practical wisdom from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, do you remember what the Apostle Paul says in those verses? 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice how Paul says that all Scripture is inspired by God. When Paul says all Scripture is inspired by God, he's essentially saying that all of the Scriptures, every book, Every chapter, every verse, every word, it all comes from God. It all comes from the mind of God. It all has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they've been given to us by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament epistles, the book of Revelation that we're studying right now in our, in our Bible classes, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of History, the major and minor prophets, even the book of Proverbs, it all ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit. It all ultimately comes from God. You see, while Solomon was indeed a wise man, while Solomon was indeed the wisest man of his day and the one who penned the words of this book, we need to understand that when it's all said and done, at the end of the day, the wisdom found in Proverbs is not really coming from Solomon. Instead, it's coming from God. This is wisdom from God. This is wisdom from the Lord. And brothers and sisters, we need God's wisdom, don't we? Oh, yes, we, we need God's wisdom. I don't care how long you've been on this earth. You need God's wisdom. You know why? Because God is wiser than you. God is smarter than you. God has perfect knowledge and perfect understanding. And when we listen to him and just do what he says, guess what? We put ourselves on a path to live the best possible lives on this earth. 
we all need the wisdom that comes from God. And for those who may be wondering what kind of practical wisdom from God is offered in the book of Proverbs, let me give you some examples as to what we're talking about. Go to Proverbs chapter 22. Follow me here this morning. Proverbs 22, look at verse 7. Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The Bible says this. It says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's what? The borrower becomes the lender's slave. What is that verse talking about? Well, simply put, that verse, my friends, is talking about debt. That verse is talking about the dangers of debt. That verse is telling us that when we are poor stewards of our money, when we are poor managers of our blessings, when we accumulate all kind of debt and get our get ourselves in over our heads financially, we become slaves. We become slaves to the lenders. We become slaves to our creditors. Let me ask you something. In 2021 America, do you think that's a message that people need to hear? Do, do you think that's a message that is relevant in a country that is trillions and trillions of dollars in debt? You better believe that message is relevant in 21st century America. You better believe that every person, especially Americans, need to hear what God has to say about the dangers of getting in over your head financially. Everybody needs to hear what God has to say about debt. And not only does every person need to hear what God has to say about the dangers of being a poor steward over your money. But every person also needs to hear what God has to say about the dangers of alcohol. Oh, yes, the dangers of alcohol. Go in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse number one. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number one. The scripture says wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Wouldn't you agree that that's a pretty easy verse to understand, right? You don't need a commentary to understand that verse. You don't need to know Hebrew and Greek to understand that verse. You don't need some quote-unquote Bible scholar to explain the meaning of that verse to you. That's a verse we all can understand. That's a verse that our new converts can understand. That's a verse that our kids can understand. That's a verse these young folks need to understand. That's a verse that they need to always keep in the forefront of their minds. All of our young people and anybody here this morning who may be dabbling in alcohol, anybody here who's struggling with drinking, you need to listen to the wisdom of God when it comes to that issue. You need to understand that according to God, getting involved with alcohol it's not wise. It is a foolish thing to do. That's what the verse says, right? Young people, God has, wants you to remember that. He has something to say to you about the dangers of alcohol. In fact, speaking of you young folks, I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 6. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 6 and verse 20. We go over to Proverbs 6 and verse 20, and Solomon is talking to his son. And he says, my son, observe the commandment of your father. And do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproves for discipline or, or, a way, or the way of life. What is Solomon saying there? Well, simply put, 
there in those verses, Solomon has something to say to all our young people here this morning. Young people, in those verses, Solomon is saying to you that God says it is a wise and noble thing for you to make sure you always listen to your parents. You need to always listen to the godly counsel that your godly parents give you. You need to listen to the godly counsel they give you about all the dangers of life. You need to listen to the godly counsel that they give you about the dangers of sexual immorality and about the danger that is found with picking bad and ungodly friends and about the danger that is found in alcohol and drugs and about the need to always work hard and treat people right and be a good moral and ethical person and always put God first. You need to understand that there are a lot of people in the world right now whose lives would be so much better off if they had just listened to the wisdom of God found in those verses. There are so many people who would have their freedom right now. Or they would at least be alive right now if they listen to what God has to say in those verses about the value of listening to the counsel of godly parents. In fact, speaking of godly parents. The book of Proverbs also has some things to say to us as well. Look at Proverbs 22 again. Proverbs 22 verse 15 Proverbs 22 and verse 15 says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will do what will remove it far from him. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God knows what he's talking about when it comes to parenting? Do you think that God knows what he's talking about when it comes to what he has to say about raising children. I hope we can all agree this morning that the answer to that question is a big fat yes. Yes, God knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes to parenting. Yes, God is more of an expert on parenting than Dr. Phil and Dr. Spock. Yes, God is the one who invented parenting and he says that there are times when we need to discipline our kids. He says that disciplining our kids is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. It is something that can actually help them and be beneficial to them in the long run. Now, there are many other examples I could give you this morning, but I think you get the point. You see where I'm going. You see that the book of Proverbs is a very valuable book because it offers practical wisdom from God. It offers practical wisdom about parenting. We need God's wisdom when it comes to parenting. And it offers practical wisdom about morality and marriage, and how to pick good friends, and how to work hard and avoid being lazy, and even how to properly manage our money. There's just so much practical wisdom from God that's found in the Proverbs. And we're going to read Proverbs this year in our Bible reading, but not only are we going to read the book of Proverbs, Another book we're also going to read is we're going to read the Psalms. We're going to read the largest book that is found in the Bible. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. Maybe you are. But the book of Psalms is actually larger than three fourths of the Gospels. It is actually larger than Matthew, Mark and Luke combined. The Psalms 
is 150 chapters, and many of those chapters, many of those psalms or psalms were written by the man after God's own heart. They were written by the great and wonderful and godly King David. King David is the one who wrote the majority of the psalms. Now, one of the interesting things about the psalms to me is in the Psalms, you find the shortest chapter in the Bible. You also find the very middle chapter of the Bible, and you also find the longest chapter in the Bible. The shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. Psalm 117 is only two short verses, but it's a very important chapter because in those two verses, we find praise and adoration and glory being given to God. Psalm 118, the next chapter, is the very middle chapter of all the chapters in the Bible. If you were to look at all the chapters in the Bible and want to hit the very middle chapter, it's Psalm 118, and then Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is so long that guess what? We're not going to burden you with reading it all in one day. We're going to break Psalm 119 up over the course of a week so you can really appreciate it and get the most out of it. Psalm 119 is actually 176 verses. It is an extremely long chapter, but as Brother Chad said this morning, it's a glorious chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. It's a rich chapter because it is exclusively devoted to exalting and praising the word of God. And so the Psalms contains the shortest chapter of the Bible, the very middle chapter of the Bible, the longest chapter of the Bible, but probably the most important thing we could say about the Psalms is this book is worthy of consideration because it can really enhance your relationship with God. It can really Renew your relationship with God. It can take your relationship with God to a whole new level because in the Psalms, we are reminded of who God is. In the Psalms, we are reminded about the identity of God. I firmly believe that there's no other book in the Bible that does a better job of describing God and revealing his identity than the Psalms. The Psalms tell us the truth about God. The Psalms tell us that contrary to what you may hear from most scientists and most college professors today, God is real. God is real and he is the creator. He is the creator, creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the giver and the source of life and he is awesome. He is wonderful. He is ever-present and all-knowing and holy and just and sovereign. In the Psalms, we are reminded about the identity of God, but not only are we reminded of who God is in the Psalms, in this book we are also reminded about how God feels about us. We're also reminded of how God feels about me and how God feels about you. We are reminded of how God feels about us as we live out in our little spot in the world. For example, in Psalm 8, we're going to be reading Psalm 8 in a few days. There we are reminded about how even though God is greater than us, 
Even though God is way up here and we're way down here, even though God is the creator and he holds the world in the palm of his hands and he can squash us at any time he desires. Even though God is so much better and greater than us, guess what? He still loves us. He still cares about us. He has still crowned us with glory and majesty and he watches us in our little spot on this globe. In the Psalms, we're going to learn so much about God and about how God feels about us, even though we're weak and feeble human beings. But not only will we read Proverbs and Psalms this year, we're also going to read Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, go in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter one, please. I got to tell you that out of all the books that we're reading in this particular genre of the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've told you this before, the book of Ecclesiastes is my personal favorite. I really love the book of Ecclesiastes, and I love it because when you read it, it is pretty clear that Solomon, the writer of the book, he's on a quest. He's on a journey. He is on a mission to find meaning and happiness in life. Isn't that a mission that people are still on today? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse number one. Ecclesiastes one and verse one says the words of the preacher. The son of David, that's Solomon, king in Jerusalem. Vanity, that's a word you see over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. What advantage does man have? That's the big question. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Notice the purpose of this book. You see the purpose of the book? Notice how the purpose of this book is to take a journey in life. It's to be on a quest, to go on a quest, to find purpose and meaning, to find happiness, to find peace and satisfaction at the, at the highest level. That's what this book is all about. That's what Solomon wants to find in life, and he's going to try to find this in a variety of different places. He's going to try to find happiness and peace and, and money and wealth, stuff, possessions. He's going to try to find it in wisdom. He's going to try to find it in human knowledge and understanding. He's even going to try to find happiness and peace and popularity. He's even going to try to find it in building a great name for himself and, and having a name that surpasses all the people of his day. Solomon is going to try to find purpose and meaning in a variety of different places. But at the end of his quest, at the end of his journey, you know, what he's going to discover. He's going to discover that no matter how much money you have and Solomon had a lot of money, didn't he? He's going to discover that no matter how much money you have. No matter how big your house is, no matter how nice your car is, no matter how nice your clothes are. No matter how much wisdom you have, no matter how many degrees you have on your wall, no matter even how popular you may be in your society, life without God is absolutely worthless. Life without God is pointless. Life without God is vain. That's what Solomon ultimately discovers. And we see that in the last two verses of the book. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 Look at verse number 13. 
And Solomon reaches the end of his quest after he tries to find happiness and peace and money and stuff and property and wisdom and popularity. He says this in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, the conclusion, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Some of your translations say this is the what? The whole duty of man. Verse 14, why is it the whole duty of man? For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Notice how Solomon says that when you take a step back and look at the big picture of life, life should really be all about fearing God and obeying God. Fearing God, having reference for God. And keeping his commandments, Solomon says that if you don't do those two things in life, then you really miss what life is all about. That's what Solomon says, and he's perfectly qualified to make that declaration, not just because he was inspired by God, but also because he experienced life at the highest level. He had money. He had possessions. He had a bunch of women. He had wisdom. Popularity, fame, he had it all. And at the end of it all, he says that life without God is pointless. That's what he says. And let me ask you something, my dear friends. Wouldn't you agree that that's something that people need to hear today? Would you agree with that? Would you agree that in 2021, the people around us in the valley, the people in this country, the people in the world, even all the people in the church, they need to understand what life is supposed to be all about. Wouldn't you agree that in a world where people put so much value in money and stuff and fame and education and position and popularity and even human wisdom, people need to understand that if you really want peace, if you really want to be happy, if you really want satisfaction in your life, then you need to get God in your life. You need to get Jesus in your life. You need to understand that a life without God is a worthless life. You need to make going to heaven your top priority. If you do that, guess what? You're going to have peace. You're going to have happiness. You're going to have satisfaction. You're going to be able to get through anything that life brings your way. We learn that. We're going to learn that in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, we're going to go on this quest with Solomon for happiness, but not only are we going to read Proverbs, Psalms, and Ecclesiastes, we're also going to read the book of Job. The book of Job, and can I emphasize to you this morning that we're going to read the whole book of Job. We're not going to do like most people, just read chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 42. Oh, no, we're going to do better than that. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to read all 42 chapters in the book of Job because guess what? There's a lot more to be learned from that book than just looking at the easy stuff. We're going to read all 42 chapters, and we're going to do that because like the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Job also answers one of the great, great questions in life, and that is this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? You ever thought about that? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good and godly people? Why do bad things happen to people like Job? Why did Job suffer terribly in his life? 
Why did he lose his wealth and his health? Why did he lose all 10 of his children on the very same day to a natural disaster? Why did he experience mocking and ridicule? Why did he experience a miserable existence for a period of time? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's the main question that's addressed in the book of Job. And so go in your Bible to Job chapter four. Look at Job chapter four. When we challenge ourselves to do better than just read the first two chapters in the last chapter of Job, we see, we discover that the majority of this book is really a conversation. It is really dialogue that takes place between Job while he's suffering and his three friends, quote unquote friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad come to visit Job while he's suffering and they think they're comforting him, but they're really not. What they're doing is they're judging him. They're trying to assume that they know exactly why he's suffering. And so listen to what Eliphaz says. Eliphaz says this in Job 4 and verse 7. He says to Job, while Job is suffering, remember now whoever perished being innocent. Or where were the upright destroyed according to what I have seen? There's your problem, Eliphaz. According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity. And those who so trouble harvested by the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. Do you see what Eliphaz is trying to say there? Notice how according to Eliphaz, Joe wasn't suffering by accident. He wasn't suffering by chance. He wasn't suffering because he just had bad luck. Instead, according to Eliphaz, Joe was suffering because he was a bad man. He was a sinner. He was a wicked and horrible human being. He could not have been this righteous man like he claimed. That's the conclusion that Eliphaz came to. And isn't that exactly like a lot of folks think today? I mean, even today, even in the 21st century, like Eliphaz, do not so many people, even so many Christians, have a very simplistic view of suffering? I mean, do not most people really believe that if you have good things happening to you in your life, then that must automatically mean you're a good person. That must automatically mean that you have favor with God, you're in fellowship with God, you're a righteous person. But by contrast, if bad things are happening to you, if you're suffering in your life, if you lose your house, if you get sick with the coronavirus, if you have all these things happen to you, that means that God's not happy with you. You're a sinner. You're not doing something right. Do not people today still have that very simplistic view of suffering? You know they do. You know they do. You know that the thinking of Eliphaz is still alive and well in many people's minds today. But thankfully, when we read this book this year, we're going to see that thinking is wrong. That thinking is not biblical. It's not scriptural. I mean, yes, Job was suffering terribly in his life, but that did not mean God was punishing him. That did not mean that he was a wicked and unrighteous man. That did not mean that God was the one responsible for his suffering. It wasn't that simple. It wasn't that simplistic. Understanding the source of people's suffering is never that simplistic. 
You see, as we live in a sin-cursed world, we got to understand that sometimes bad things are going to happen to good people, and sometimes good things are going to happen to bad people. Job was a righteous man. He was a blameless man. He was good and in fellowship with God, and he suffered terribly in his life, and there's never any indication in this book that Job ever was able to figure out where his suffering was coming from. There's never any indication in this book that Job ever came to the realization that God wasn't the one behind his suffering. Instead, the devil was the one behind his suffering. The devil was the one who was bringing all these trials in his life. It wasn't God. Instead, it was the evil one. Understanding suffering is complicated. It is a complicated thing. It's not simplistic, and we're going to see that when we get to the book of Job. But then we come to the final book we're going to read this year. And that is the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, and I got to tell you that out of all the books we're going to read this year, this book, the Song of Solomon, may be the most neglected. In fact, it may be the most neglected book in all the Bible. Few people are ever really eager to read the book of the Song of Solomon, because let's just be honest about it. It's not the easiest book to understand. It's not the easiest book to read and comprehend because it is written in a language that many of us don't like, especially many of us men. And that's the language of love, the language of poetry. The Song of Solomon is a poetic book. It is a romantic book. It is a book about romantic love. It is a book that addresses a topic that makes many of us uncomfortable, especially in a setting like this, and that's the topic of sex. That's the topic of sexual intimacy. That's the topic of passion and fulfillment that is to be shared in the holy and sacred relationship of marriage. My friends, if you're blessed to be married to the love of your life, like I am, then you especially need to make sure you read this book when the time comes. I don't care how long you've been married. You need to read this book with your spouse. You need to read this book with your kids. You need to not be afraid to talk about this book with your kids. You need to use the word of God to help your kids understand that when it comes to sex and sexual intimacy, guess who created that? God is the one who created that. God created that in the beginning, and God says that sex and sexual intimacy is good and right and holy when it is reserved in the marriage bed. That's what you learn from the Song of Solomon. And that's something that our kids need to understand. That's something we need to rehearse with our spouse. In fact, if you are married today and you're currently facing problems in your marriage, then you know what you need to do? You need to go home and read this book right now. You don't need to wait till October or November. That may be too late for you by then. You need to go home and read this today. Go home and read it today. Understand this book and help your marriage. 
It can enhance the romance in your marriage. It can enhance the intimacy in your marriage. It can help you learn how to talk to your spouse, how to treat your spouse, how to enjoy your spouse and a relationship that God created in the beginning. And God said it wasn't just good, but it's very good. We're going to read Song of Solomon. I don't care how long we've been married. We're going to understand that this book can bless us. It can help us. It can help make this great relationship we enjoy with the love of our life as strong as God intends it to be. Now, that's just a preview. That's just a preview. That's just a taste, a taste of what we're going to be reading together as a congregation this year. And again, please make sure, please make sure you get a copy of your Bible reading schedule. Get you one before you leave. Download it from the website. Keep it with you at all times. Tuck it away in your Bible like I do. Take it with you to work. Take it with you to school. Be determined to fill yourself up this year with the wisdom of God. I got to tell you, I firmly believe that when we listen to the wisdom of God, our lives are so much better. Would you agree with that? Can somebody say amen to that this morning? Our lives are better when we fill ourselves with the wisdom of God. I mean, not only do we get to experience peace and happiness now, but we also get to experience the only real life and the one to come. And so I just want to close this morning by asking you what path are you on right now? Are you on the path of wisdom, the wisdom of God, or are you on the path of the foolishness of Satan in the world? If you're currently not on the right path, the path of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we want to help you with that this morning. If it means we need to immerse you into Christ or if it means we need to pray with you and pray for you because you're struggling with something right now. Whatever needs you may have spiritually, let us help you with that right here and right now as Brother Brian leads us in this song.